The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for episode 57, the week of March 5th. Alex, one of my neighbors is stalking me. Really, Rob? How do you know? Yeah, she's been typing my name into Google on her computer. Oh, really? Yeah. I saw it last night uh, through my telescope when I was watching her. (laughs) Oh, Rob. (laughs) So silly. (laughs) All right. Uh, Number one, we have a newsletter. If you guys haven't signed up for the newsletter yet, uh, go out to our website and uh, we'll get to these show notes in your inbox every week. Uh, Subscribe on iTunes and go go, uh, or, or Google Play and go review us there as well. And only five-star reviews, none of that other junk. Yeah. Just just good stuff, thanks. Just the good stuff, thanks. Uh, so I saw, I don't know if you saw this week on our Slack channel, some folks were talking about RSS feeds and podcasts that they, they like to use. Yeah, so there was a good discussion about uh, places that, that people look for, you know, blogs and other things for their news. And po- some people posted their, their feeds, which was yeah. cool. Uh, and then also uh, some good uh, other podcasts besides ours. Um, I know uh, Risky Business came up, which is one of my favorites. Yep. Always a good one. Yeah, so if you guys are looking for places to get your news on a daily basis, and you know that's a that's a good place to go check check our Slack channel. There's well over 300 people. I think we're at like 330 folks on the Slack channel now. Good conversation going on just about every day. Yeah, good stuff. So let's jump into the news. First, uh, U.S. News and World Report um, noted that Colorado is number one for the economy and number ten overall. Yeah, so you know they ha- they have about eight different uh, categories that they rate each state. Uh, Colorado did really well on the economy section. Um, we we also did pretty well on healthcare and quality of life overall. Some areas we did not do so well as crime and corrections and financial stability. Uh, but overall, they put us at, at number ten. So you know, top twenty percent. Hey, good job, Colorado. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, number one state, uh, if you're looking to move somewhere, Iowa was was number one, and uh, believe it or not, somewhere above us was North Dakota. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my guess now is that Iowa will be named the uh, Amazon HQ2 since this is, they're obviously the number one place to live. Obviously. Why would you go anywhere else at this point? Obviously. Uh, Next, uh, there was an article this week about uh, U.S. governors and their worry about cyber attacks during the fall elections. Um, This was in a Denver Post. uh, And I know John Hickenlooper, our governor, was was there uh, as, as a part of this meeting and kind of talking about how we need to be ready to, to respond in the event of election hacking, right? Yeah, and we've obviously talked several times about uh, Colorado's election preparedness um, and, and what folks have been doing in the previous election and for upcoming elections. Uh, specifically, uh, Governor Hickenlooper said that election security is one of the most, if not the most, immediate threats. And so what is it, what's the response? What are we going to be doing about um, you know, Russia or whoever else that's, that's trying to hack our elections. Yeah, if you remember the, the ratings that were in that recent evaluation of different states' readiness for hacking um, for their elections, you know, the, Colorado was at the top, but the top was a B, right? So right. no one's really ready for it is what the evaluation was. Exactly. So Firm Space is a uh, luxury co-working space that's been, uh, I think it was Austin, they've been previously, and they're coming to Denver. So we're going to have luxurious office uh, co-working spaces that we can use here in town. Yeah, and you know there are a number of co-working spaces that are around town. Um, you know, WeWork and other things like yeah. that, um, Galvanize. Mm-hmm. Um, but this looks like it's just sort of a higher end, right. uh, 
nicer, you know, more luxury kind of space that you can co-work in. Yeah, they have like really high quality conference rooms you can use with all the latest technology and uh, beautiful shared uh, waiting rooms and so forth. It just really looks like a nice upscale office. Yeah, I mean, yes, look like a, a nice high-end office that you might visit, you know, a, a lawyer's office or something like that. So it makes sense. So as soon as Colorado Equal Security is ready to have a working space, uh, I think we found our spot, right? Uh, definitely. <laughs> Nowhere else. <laughs> Uh, next, uh, last week we talked about how CDOT had been affected by uh, a ransomware attack. Well, there's an article that um, they got hit a second time. So they're in the process of cleaning up and they had a second infection hit them. What a, what a terrible week, right? If, if you're part of that incident response guy, you just, you just had a really bad week. Yeah. You've been working around the clock trying to get this back online and all of a sudden, you know, someone yeah. kicks you again. So if you were part of the incident response there at CDOT, um, let me know. I'll get you a drink. You know, we don't even need to talk to you about the. If you just want to drink to forget what happened in the last week, uh, we're happy to, uh, to to drink one for you. Um, it, and it also, I think we mentioned this last week. It was the, the Sam Sam ransomware. Mm-hmm. I think that was the same thing that hit the city of Inglewood. Um, so I'd say if you're out there and you don't know if you are protected against Sam Sam ransomware, I think you should probably check. Yeah, it's probably a good idea, right? Coming yep. around. Uh, so next, we have an article written by Cam Williams. Cam was our feature guest uh, what, a couple weeks ago, right? Yes, um, he was. And and he wrote an article for uh, for Colorado Business Magazine about how Colorado is really becoming a hotbed for cybersecurity. Um, so there's not a lot of uh, of news to folks who are listening here into this, but it's cool. He does he does have an interview with uh, Brett Fund from uh, uh, SecureSet. And he also you know, name drops a bunch of the Colorado companies that we know and love here with uh, with Ping and, and Logarithm, Optiv, uh, Webroot. So so really um, nice to see this conversation getting making it to the more mainstream business magazine. Yep, we always love more uh, news in the Colorado security space. Uh, next, uh, the Denver Business Journal had an article where they had a uh, called it a table of experts. So this was a cybersecurity and fraud roundtable. So they brought in uh, several folks for uh, for the panel and asked some questions. Uh, Rebecca Pearson, who is SVP for Finex Cyber, uh, Dave Mahon, who's with CenturyLink, and Brett Fond of SecureSet. So yeah. uh, a number of um, questions and answers in there. Some some good content. Talk a little bit about um, SMB security and and how that is still a, a um, an area where people probably need more help. Um, but again, just cool to see that there is more talk about. Uh, the Denver security community and cybersecurity in the mainstream media. Yeah. The Denver Business Journal doing a Q&A around this is, is pretty neat. Um, the biggest thing I learned is that Denver Business Journal actually has a physical office here in Denver. You know, the business journals, they're a series, right? Every every major city has their own business journal. Colorado Springs has a, has a business journal and, you know, every, every major city does. So I, I kind of thought there was one central place you know, in Washington, D.C. or whatever, where everyone, like, you know, it's one guy from, right? Yeah, it's two two people who are, you know, doing it all. But now apparently we actually have a staff here in, in Colorado as well. So that's pretty cool. Definitely cool. Um, next, we have we have a uh, analysis of the Satori botnet. Um, so we talked to you guys a while back that ProtectWise was creating their own threat research group that was at 401, right? Um, and, and we mentioned that they were going to be doing some new research and, and sharing it with the community. And, and this is one of those examples of some pretty in-depth analysis. If you want to understand how this botnet works, uh, understand how it gets infected, this is a, a pretty good piece of research for you to take a look at. Yeah, definitely go check that out. Uh, and then finally, Coalfire had a blog post this week about the new uh, SEC cyber risk disclosure guidance. So the yeah. SEC came out 
um, and gave more clarification on how companies uh, should deal with uh, cybersecurity incidents in terms of reporting them. So a couple of things that they talked about were uh, that people need to think about uh, cyber risk before they happen, not just reporting that, that they had an incident. Um, and then also around uh, how it is you should deal with selling stock when you have uh, still private news of, of a right. big cybersecurity incident, like, you know, with Equifax. For they example. basically said, don't sell it, right? Right. So we had a, the Equifax one and then the Intel um, recent vulnerabilities, both were situations where, you know, because of uh, the fact that they had, they were, had knowledge about bad stuff going on, all any stock trades that happened in that window were really subject to people, you know, questioning, right? Uh, did they, it, were they doing inciting training? So, so SEC is just giving guidance to say, just don't do it during this window at this point. So there's no question of whether it's okay or not. Yeah. I, I can't remember who it was, but I heard someone say this week, it's going to lead to some new interesting meta analysis, right? So if you see all of a sudden, <laughs> that um, you know, a major company that that none of their executives are selling stock. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you see a, a normal pattern that all of a sudden it stops. Uh-oh, they're going to report yeah. a breach soon. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be funny. Uh, that them not selling stock could be a reason for other people to go sell stock. Right, uh, exactly. All right, that's it for the news this week. Let's jump over to trivia. So last week's question was, uh, name Colorado Equal Security's first podcast sponsor. And that was not a trivia sponsor, which is the podcast sponsor. And the winner this week is... Andre Gaeta, because Andre, who is the sponsor for trivia, doesn't have to pay anyone. Right. We didn't have a correct answer this week. Um, I want to say it's not quite a trick question, yeah. um, but it was one that, that didn't have a an obvious answer, right? Yeah. So, th- so the answer is we've never had a, a sponsor um, for the, on the podcast. Uh, we, we've talked with a couple folks about maybe doing it, and we haven't, at this point, haven't had anyone sponsor. So uh, Alex and I have been, you know paying the, the funding for hosting and all this stuff uh, and all the mics and all, all these fun things out of our pocket. Um, so I guess this kind of goes hand in hand with an announcement that we are going to open up a Patreon page here. Yeah. And so those that aren't familiar with Patreon, um, it is a, a website, a service that, that you can use to have patrons. So um, it works in for artists or podcasters or uh, tech writers, anyone out there. If you want to have essentially your audience uh, fund what it is that you're doing, uh, then you you start a Patreon page and and people can sign up to give you support. Yeah, so if you go out to to the, our website, we also we have a link to it, but it's also at Patreon.com/slash/ColoradoSecurity. You can see there's a few different levels you can support us at, uh, and they're all set up for per month. There's the one dollar a month level. Uh, there's the five dollar a month level. If you sign up there, you'll get a, fr- a free Colorado Equal Security T-shirt. Um, there is the ten dollars a month level where you get the T-shirt and you get a mention on the podcast. Which is very, very important. And I'll even throw in there, if you if you do this one, let me know who you'd like me to insult on the podcast, and, <laughs> and I'll do that as well. And and those are just some goals that we had, um, you know, some possible ones to throw out there. You can uh, obviously do any other uh, dollar level that you want as well. Um, and I just want to make sure that we note, um, while we're doing this, this is not to, uh, to help line um, Rob's pockets, you know, because I don't get any of this money anyway. Um, <laughs> We're anything that we make in this is going right back into the podcast and Colorado Equal Security. Yeah, certainly no intention of us uh, of us making a profit on this. Um, I'd say if we happened somehow to to have more money coming in than we use for the podcast, uh, we would use it for other Colorado Equal Security stuff, some swag, some stuff to give back to the community. Uh, we no intention to take any money out of this. Or maybe you know we'll get so much money that we'll have uh, you know enough to start getting our co working space at the uh, the luxury co space. Absolutely. All right, moving on to this week's trivia. 
what is the top security company protecting Colorado's cannabis stash? Ooh. Yeah, so there's there's a company that's re- that's pretty much responsible for cover- protecting most of the, the pot in town. So let us know who it is. Send an email to info at colorado-security.com or hit us up on the Slack channel directly. Don't, don't do it in a public channel. And we'll, uh, we'll let you know if you're the first one and you got it right. And we won't assume if you answer that you're a stoner. Just, <laughs> just say We'll assume you know how to use Google. All right. Uh, once again, thanks to Andre Gaeta for sponsoring our trivia. We appreciate it very much, Andre. So let's move on to events. Um, as always, we have our event calendar on the website. So make sure you go check that out for the latest events happening in the area. And first on the list uh, is a CTA. Uh, I, I cut Alex off because the, the first thing on the list is wrong. So uh, CTA is doing their Daybreak Education Series, the business of IoT. That's going to be happening on the 6th of March. Uh, second, uh, it is snow frock time. So OWASP's annual conference is happening on the 8th. Uh, day-long conference, going to be good stuff. Uh, Rob is not speaking this year, so you should definitely go. Absolutely. Uh, the The next week, we have the Denver ISSA March meetings. Those are happening on the 13th and 14th. Uh, and they'll, they'll be on the 13th, which is Tuesday, uh, lunch in Boulder, the dinner in the downtown Denver area, and then lunch on Wednesday in the DTC area. Uh, next on the list, we have the sea level at Mile High, which is on March 15th. This is the the big um, event that they have, sort of a a networking event. Um, Lots of executives get together, uh, talk about uh, technology, other things like that. Yeah, and we do have some some CISOs involved this year with their their, uh, celebrity auction. So this will be a good time to come support some of your friends of the community and and see what's going on out there in the, the larger tech world. Uh, the next event we have is also the 15th. There's actually a few events here on March 15th. ISACA has their March meeting. This is on combating fraud and corruption with data analytics. Uh, if you weren't going to go to sea level at Mile High, SecureSet is also having their cybersecurity expert series with Chris Roberts on the 15th. Um, and then finally, also on the 15th, ISC Squared Denver is having their March meeting. Um, so you guys have a lot of opportunities there on March 15th. Yes, exactly. Uh, so that's it for events. Let's move over to jobs. Uh, first on the list, we have a couple Ping jobs. Uh, Ping is looking for a GRC analyst and also an application security engineer. So for the GRC analyst, where we're looking for someone pretty entry level, uh, maybe zero to two years, who um, who can, knows about compliance and is inter- excited about getting more involved with compliance around ISO, SOC 2, and GDPR. Uh, for our application security engineer, we're looking for someone who has a Java development background. So we're not looking for someone who knows how to run Metasploit, someone who knows how to code, ha- hopefully has actually done coding for an enterprise application at some point, um, and, and, and wants to get more and more involved in security. Having a, a good concept of network protocols as well is, is pretty valuable. Uh, next on the list, PDC Energy is hiring a director of information security. Uh, Crow Horoth is hiring an IT audit and consulting senior manager. CenturyLink is hiring a senior information security engineer. Um, Polycom is hiring a senior security analyst. Spectrum is hiring a security engineer one or I, not sure. Could be either. Yeah. Or lowercase l. (laughs) Western Union is looking for an information security analyst. HomeAdvisor is hiring an information security engineer. And what looked to be to me to be the coolest job of the week, NREL is hiring a cyber physical systems security and reliance engineer. Yeah, that does sound like fun, right? Yeah. So if you're looking for how um, 
how cybersecurity and the physical world interact. That sounds like a pretty cool job. Very cool. Well, that takes us to the end of the news. Our feature interview coming up is me sitting down with Chris Kissler. Chris is the CISO for Centura Health. Um, He's been there for quite a while and and kind of talks to us about what it's like to try and secure um, biomedical systems, uh, his favorite framework, which is high trust, and talks about how that ties into other frameworks and how you can use that to help get more compliance, some of his highest priority projects for the year and what his biggest accomplishments have been over the last few years. Awesome. I look forward to it. Cool. All right, everybody, have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Jose Calvillo, CISO, at ASF Payment Solutions. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. All right, this is Rob Reck, and today I'm sitting with Chris Kissler. Um, Chris, in addition to being the CISO for Centura Health, you're also a psychologist. Uh, is, that, is that correct? Uh, psychotherapist. Psychotherapist, excuse me. So as we talk here, I, I assume you're going to be analyzing me. Is that, is that true? <laughs> Am I going to get a bill at the end of this? You are going to get a bill at the end of this. I'll <laughs> well, tell you all about things you never wanted to know about yourself. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to learning some things about myself that are probably deeply disturbing and uh, not any surprise to my wife. That's, that's my guess. <laughs> Um, but that is one of the, I think that's a unique combination in a security leader. I, I've never come across someone who's a psychotherapist and a, and a security leader. Uh, do, have you? Are you the only one you know? I am the only one I know. I, I do know uh, there was another gal I know that uh, was in security and she had a uh, psychology degree. But I can't okay. remember the name of her. She was here, I think, in Denver, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So apologies for not remembering your name if you're listening. Well, if you're that <laughs> mysterious woman, send a note, and uh, and Chris is going to send you a wonderful gift. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive in, and I'd just like to get some of your background, learn how you got to be where you, where you are. I want to get to Centura, but first, let's back up. Where did you grow up, and you know, where are you from? I grew up uh, quite a bit. My dad was military, okay. so we traveled a bit when I was younger, uh, but I did most of my growing up in Kansas City, mm. uh, and then uh, spent 10 years in St. Louis. And or actually 20 years in St. Louis, and then moved in Denver. I've been here in Denver now uh, about eight, nine, actually almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years this fall. And what brought you here? Uh, I brought here, my beautiful wife brought me here. Okay. She's a Colorado native. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get married here? Or I you did. Or you met somewhere else? Or, uh, or We met somewhere else. Okay. Actually met at a black hat conference. <laughs> yes. So she is a security person too? Uh, she was uh, DOD. Okay. And uh, project manager for yeah. uh, DISA defense okay. stuff. So yeah, yeah. So so let's back up. You know, you grew up in Kansas City. Um, to talk to me about you know, how to, education. What do you what do you do in terms of you know you went to high school and and what happened after that? Yeah. So high school. Yeah, Kansas City. I went out of that. I actually my history. Right. I trained dogs for a while. You trained uh, dogs. Yeah. So yeah. right, a little dog psychology. Right. That went into my my stuff. I had also was a firefighter, paramedic, and police officer for ten years. Wow. Um, that was uh, afterwards and in St. Louis, right? Went from training dogs to police dogs. and uh, So you were a firefighter, a policeman, and a dog trainer. You are yes. all of the jobs that my eight-year-old wants to And a paramedic, right? Don't forget the paramedic. So that, all, that was actually my favorite out of all of them. All the sirens and, and, yeah. very, and, and you, were, you were your teacher at some point as well? Uh, I've taught, yes. Yeah. I, I've taught, you know, Windows. <laughs> that's going to date me now, Rob. I, I taught uh, Windows 95 and Windows NT server sure. back in the day. Um, and, and taught uh, SANS GSEC actually okay. for a year. I was actually number 30 to be certified by SANS wow. on the GSEC. So, so let's talk, obviously a lot of cool background. How did you, 
how did you get interested in security? Where does that start? Uh, well, it started back in the police days, right? So back in my police stuff, I was one of the, the technical geeks, right? Taught myself computer stuff. I had my little laptop in the police car mm -hmm. when I wasn't out doing calls and, and taught myself some programming, some database stuff. And uh, actually was had one of the first uh, computerized sketch artist hmm. pro programs uh, that came out but way back in the day. That was, like, my God, back in like 1993, where, where were you working there? Uh, that was in St. Louis. So okay. I worked in a suburb of St. Louis. I, well, two Ferguson. suburbs. I actually worked in Ferguson, Missouri That's the one uh, for five years. And yeah. uh, I also, out of there in time? Yes, I got out of there and uh, worked uh, five years in the city of De Pere. And uh, so I did a lot of stuff with computers there with networking yeah. uh, back in the days yeah. of uh, before Ethernet. So I see you're you're a cop pulling people over going to, to going to calls in the interim you're you're messing around learning computers. Is that, sure, is that yeah, right? exactly. And I did some uh, investigations at the time. Right back then, hacking was pretty much limited to dial-up modems, sure. but it still happened. Yeah, right. People would dial into companies uh, through back doors. Uh, there was you know a, a lot of uh, pirating going on with mm -hmm. software back in the days over the modems and Glad we downloading got rid of all stuff. The pirating. So, None of that anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's been real effective, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so did you make it? Did you, you know kind of fall in love with it as a cop, or was it? You know, oh yeah, it became my passion. Yeah, yeah, you bet. And and that was my goal, right? I got out of that, taught myself networking, got Novell certified, yeah. and and then Microsoft certified, and then went out, started on the help desk, uh, you know, for. Uh, Another health organization, hmm. uh, Cardinal Health, actually hmm. was Medicine Shop International at the time. Okay. And that was in St. Louis still? St. Louis, yeah. yeah. And worked there for, gosh, five years, I guess. Yeah. Went there for five years, did a lot of my SANS training there, got Microsoft certified, Novell certified, Citrix certified, actually wrote the book, uh, uh, configuring Citrix Metaframe on Windows 2000. So you're you're an author. I mean, uh, I'm yes. in the presence of a, of a famous person. Okay, I didn't and know it that. was a co-author. So yeah, okay. I was uh, there was I think four or five of us that co-authored sure. that book. But yeah, I wrote a major part of it. I probably wrote a good third of the book. Yeah. You know, all the good technical stuff is mine, folks. Yeah. yeah. Any, any, any mistakes? That was the other guy. Right? That's exactly right. <laughs> right. Uh, so you you're working for Cardinal Health, um, and you know. It sounds like not focused on security specifically, more more broadly system administration. Uh, started there on help desk and okay. then went to help manager of the help desk and then uh, redid all their servers and then became the server guy and then manager of the server team and then went to networks and redid all their networks yeah. and <laughs> became manager of the network team and then got into security yeah. and started my SANS training and certification. So I've been to, I think I only certified on a couple of the SANS courses, but I've been to like almost all of them. In uh, love education, I'm yeah. a chronic learner, right? I have, I have a little bit of uh, OCD and and ADD, yeah. so I, I get bored easily, and I, I just love education and reading and studying. So a lot of self-study, self-learning, um, went through that. So I'll tell you what, what I heard you say was, they brought you in and you solved the help desk problem, you solved the systems problem, you solved the network problem, so they put you somewhere where you'd never be able to solve the problems. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It's well, I mainly I got bored and wanted more, right, and just kept taking more. Wrote all their policies and procedures back then, right? Back then it yeah. was BS 7799, sure, right? That's before sure. the ISO stuff even came out. Yeah. And, uh, and we, we did, you know, Sox, Sarbanes-Oxley had mm -hmm. just come out back then. HIPAA was still there. I, I may even have had some comments in the original HIPAA hmm. You know RFPs that yeah. went out. Um, so uh, what else from there? Uh, went from there. Did this, like I said, did the security thing, and then got bored with that there, 
And because uh, as you everybody knows, right, healthcare tends to move slow. Mm. Uh, it was bored for me. Uh, went to Savas Communications okay. and started there uh, as a security administrator. And then again, went up through there. I was there at Savas for 10 years hmm. and um, eventually went from just being security administrator to going up through, again, the supervisor, manager, director, uh, and then uh, senior director Yeah, uh, there at Savas. Uh, both over the corporate area and their managed security services. Hmm. So, and I was there when we took over Digital Island and Exodus Communications, uh, a yeah. lot of acquisitions and mergers. Yeah. So, lots of interesting stuff there. A lot of interesting background, right? Savas Communications, for people that don't know, have, holds part of the, that probably 90-some percent of the stock market uh, companies, right, hmm. that are doing all the stock market tickers. So, obviously, right, business continuity, disaster recovery, failover, you they're know. The ISP. And, and important, yeah, they're, yeah, they're the one providing that service. So, sure. so really learned a lot. My boss at Savas, actually the boss I had then, uh, Don Bertier, he was, uh, and, and actually, right, one of the, the bosses I admire the most. He was a, uh, he actually programmed some of the code for the guided missiles, hmm. right? The, the big, what are they called? The big missiles they shoot off the ship, the I tomahawks. Oh, okay, sure. That go off and travel and then yeah. go explode places. Yeah, he actually designed some of the guidance stuff for that. So this guy knew what he was doing, right? And also did a lot of uh, SNMP programming development work. So awesome guy to work for. Yeah. And and just an amazing boss. Taught me a lot. When I first went there, he told me, he said, you know, one year at Savas is going to be like 10 years anywhere else. Hmm. And, and you made it a hundred years. And there, he though. was right. I feel like I spent a hundred years there. <laughs> right. and, and was that in St. Louis? St. Louis that? is where it was based. Yeah. yeah. They, they were, were bought out by CenturyLink here, yeah. you know, several years ago, but uh, um, so, great experience. Great. So you were there. Uh, when did you leave there? Cause you've been at, at Centura for a while. So uh, I've been at Centura now. I did a short stint um, at a, a credit card company that I won't name. I, I didn't like it. Right. Uh, credit card collections. Okay. It, it was just, yeah, kind of sleazy. Didn't like hmm. it. Didn't have a good feel. Um, didn't stay there long. And uh, now, yeah, I've been at Centura Health now for a little over six and a half years. Okay. So, and started there as a uh, consultant, actually, and then promoted up to manager, uh, director, and then VP uh, CISO, where I've been now at for the last two, three years. Were you the first CISO for Centura? Or was I there actually was. Like, okay. But that's, that's always cool. It's neat, but it also means that, you know, it's... Uh, it's an organization where you kind of have to train them about what, what it means to have a security person. <laughs> there was a lot of education there because, again, uh, having spent a short stint in the healthcare area, right, I knew some of the challenges, but having been in a, an advanced telecommunications company and as a MSSP uh, providing services to all kinds of companies yeah. um, and in a very fast-paced environment, it was a challenge to slow back down and and obviously I was not happy with the current state of healthcare security when I first went there and yeah. and wanted to bring them up to a not just a, a par of healthcare but up to an equal standing of all companies in all industries yeah right because I'm compulsive and OCD <laughs> <laughs> so so you know let's just talk about kind of how you went through that obviously it's been it's been several years that you've had a chance to do it but you know, you came in and, and you targeted some number of things you wanted to go after. And How did you figure out what, what to go after first? Well, and there's a uh, definitely an art and a talent to that, Yeah, I, I believe, right? I, the experience I had at Savas, I, I believe I'm pretty good at that. We did that for a lot of companies. We got paid to do that for them. But at, at Centura Health specifically, when I first went there, they had zero security people, Yeah, right? Um, they had gotten rid of the two that they had for whatever reason and had outsourced some of it to Verizon, hmm. had like a virtual director. 
And I got brought in first as a consultant to actually just look at some data loss prevention opportunities. Yeah. And then said, well, you know, I could do this and this and this. So the good thing is I was able to go in and then basically start from ground zero. And I started from scratch. And initially I had planned on using the ISO framework, which mm-hmm. I was very familiar with. Someone, you know, at the time said, well, what have you looked What about this high trust framework? Have you looked mm-hmm. at that? And um, I said, well, I know I haven't, but I really like ISO. I don't know if I want to do anything else. And mm-hmm. I went and looked at it and then saw it was based on ISO. Right. And I really actually liked the framework. Hmm. Um, and we should talk about that. I know there's some you know companies that are hesitant, that believe it's too expensive or cost too much. But um, the actual entry point to high trust is is free. So are you talking about high trust compliance or are you talking about high trust certification? Well, there's and that's a good question because there's two very different things there, right? High trust certification, yes, is expensive. Yeah. Right. But using high trust as a framework is free. You can sure. download it for free, just like you can the NIST. Yeah. Right. And and you can use it. I highly recommend people, you know, to at least subscribe to their little web uh, service because I don't know what is it like. Depending on the size of your company and how many audits you want to do, you know, for ten to fifteen, twenty thousand bucks, I'm sure they have higher things. You can get access to their great web portal, which has outstanding dashboards and graphs, and hmm. you can slice and dice and mix and match, right? So the high trust is not, people that don't know, right, it's not any additional controls. What it does do is takes and normalizes over 25 of the existing regulatory controls, and it normalizes those into a single set of controls. And when you go into the, the high trust portal, you can actually select and pick and choose which of these a regulatory controls apply to your environment and it will adjust yeah. which controls you have to answer right in there automatically so that's it's much nicer than trying to download the you know 800 some page <laughs> CSF document and then try to excel it and do your own thing yeah um, but you can then adjust that for where it's at and then you can actually adjust it for the size of your company and do all those things so that's pretty cost effective yeah. Right, and if you don't want to use their portal, well, you can certainly do it on your own for free. But like I said, it's a pretty low cost of entry to do that, and then you can self-validate. Yeah. Right. You um, if you're going to go pay for certification, depending on the size of your company, well, you can easily, you know, run over a hundred thousand dollars on those audit and certification fees. Yeah. But whether you do that or not, it, it's a great framework. You can report against the NIST cybersecurity framework. You can report against PCI stuff. You can report against all these. That's what I like to do, right? We audit once and report many. Yeah. So let's talk just a little bit about the about high trust. I'm familiar with it as a you know healthcare um, compliance framework built on HIPAA or at least built to support HIPAA. Could could you talk maybe a little more detail for those who maybe aren't familiar with it? Where did it come from, and how? What is the relationship between high trust and HIPAA? And if you have more details, that'd be great. Sure. Well, it, it does contain HIPAA, and it was originally designed for healthcare. But it certainly has morphed into something much bigger, right? It now includes, like I said, PCI. It includes ISO. It was built off the ISO standard. You'll, people that know ISO will see it very familiar to them. Is it based on 2005 or 2013? It is based on 2701 It was is what it was based on. Yeah, but the tw- right? 2701, the 2000, 2005 version or the 2013 version? It was, right, it was initially version. 2000. It was initially built off the 2005 version, yeah. right? the early version, but they have updated it. Have they? they update it typically every year at least once a year, which can be, right, both a blessing and a curse. (laughs) Uh, Version 9, right, the version 9 of the Hytrus just added lots of controls 
from the version eight, which was in effect last year. Okay. So for those people who may have done or certified under version eight, luckily we slid in under the radar. Um, that was not accidental. Um, but uh, the V9 is, is, I mean, it added like 300 more controls. Yeah. Right. Because they're incorporating all these new standards, right? The updates to uh, to uh, NIST, the NIST cybersecurity framework, the updates to NIST 853. Um, I'm guessing, you know, they added updates in there for Texas privacy controls, Massachusetts privacy controls. I'm guessing, I don't know if they have yet. Maybe they have and I didn't set it, but right, the GDPR, right, yeah. for the UK. Um, but it's a nice thing to centralize it, and, and I'm not here to sell that, but I, I encourage people that are looking for a framework to design their program around. Very effective for... For the security person, for the security professional, right? Because yeah. what's the challenge we have? The challenge we have as, as security gurus, or as what I've always had in a company as the director or CISO, whatever the title is, is selling that security. And well, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do that? Mm. Well, being able to show that high trust framework out of the CSF, I mean, go look at it, download it, and look at how they have it organized. Here's the control, and then they list not just the control, but here's all the regulatory rep that it references. Mm. So when you send somebody not just the Control of, well, here's why you, example, you know, have to change your password so many days. Bad example, I know. But here's why you have to do this particular control. And then you say, oh, and by the way, it's required by PCI and CMS and Joint Commission right. and blah, 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 blah. Right? Yeah. Well, that adds a whole lot of weight to your conversation when you're having that with these other directors and developers and, and whoever it is. Mm. It, it basically shuts them down. Hmm. So really valuable for the security professional to have in their toolbox, even if you're not using the framework, just to have that control reference, yeah, right, so to go look at it. Do you guys use a GRC tool to support that, or are you just doing it through that web portal? We're using that about? web portal. Yeah. We, we used to use uh, RSAM yeah. um, as a GRC tool, mm -hmm. and the web's, actually the High Trust portal is built off of RSAM hmm. and uh, provides pretty much all we need. So yeah. we, we actually decided to not maintain the, the RSAM and, and go just yeah. with the, uh, the portal. That the dashboards and and graphics out of it for taking to management are just wonderful. Mm. You can look at it by category. You can look at it by, uh, and then drill down into those things, right? The things that are showing up red. Well, you can now drill directly into it and see what they are. Uh, the gap reports, the gap analysis it provides. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan if you can't tell. Obviously, no, obviously that's great. Yeah, and I've done pretty much everything out there, yeah. right? So. Well, good stuff. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the security side, you know, like the compliance side. Let's talk about what what are the controls that you've implemented over the last six plus years that you think are most important, most effective, and you, you, you do first if you had to do it all over again. Yeah. So I like to say one of my favorite quotes, right, is compliance does not equal security. Yeah. So we, we had a big program around compliance, right, with doing those reporting and bringing in, but you also have to watch for tactical security. So in addition to look at compliance risk from that, we also have a whole separate program that looks at tactical risk. Tools that we've deployed, my first go-to um, is multi-factor authentication, right? Yeah. To me, that's the, the single most effective thing you can do is to deploy multi-factor authentication. Yeah. And what, and what kind of use cases would you deploy for? Is it every login? Is it high-risk logins? Is it VPN only? What, when do you... Use well, it? you know, I, I don't have my visuals here and since it's on the radio, but if you guys go look at it, I, what I carry about my best thing to sell to management, right? There's a little, little tiny book that's about three inches wide and about not even five inches high. And it, it's about uh, as thick as two or three quarters, mm -hmm. okay? 
And I've got all the, what I like, my favorite demo is I like to bring one of these people into my office and say, look, I've got all these books on hacking because i got these bookshelves with yeah. all these books on hacking and breaking into things and everything. Well, then I show them this little bitty tiny skinny book and say, look, this one right here, it says Website Security for Dummies. Right? Okay. And inside that little tiny skinny book that says Website Security for Dummies, two-factor authentication is mentioned not once but twice. Hmm. And I like to say, well, you know, we have all these things of, of hacking and things that we should do. Don't you think we should at least do the things that are in this little tiny bitty book hmm. for dummies? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on that note, what parts is important? Well, what's the biggest threat vector and the biggest threat exposure, right? For healthcare, really, uh, in my opinion, the biggest threat vector and the one I've seen catch more companies than anything else is... Outlook Web Access. Sure. Right? Email is yep. OWA. And, and Outlook Web Access specifically more so than the Outlook native client. Why? Well, because it's easier to hack. It's easier to get to to be untraceable. Right? It's a pain to have to install Outlook client and then connect. And even if you have credentials and or to install it on the phone and do all that. Right? But OWA, you can hit from any random web browser. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy. <coughs> yeah. So... That, to me, is the biggest risk vector. The next one would be, you know, public-facing websites with logins that have Mm -hmm. it. Especially nowadays, people are using single sign-on. Yeah. Right? If they sniff the password to one thing, well, they've now got the keys to all of your apps and all of your systems. Um, Not just internal, but external. Cloud apps should go there. Um, Many tools for that. Many things that are out there, right? Lots of options Mm -hmm. for multi-factor. Um, some of them are now offering additional services besides multi-factor, right. um, uh, and replacing MDM, right? So one of the things that we've deployed is using the multi-factor authentication solution as an MDM replacement. Yeah. So because what we found in our environment specifically, we have conflicting MDM. We have a lot of non-employed physicians that, or they may be employed somewhere else. Well, we can't push our MDM on them because they've sure. already got somebody else's. Yeah. So we can't manage those devices so healthcare specifically we have to be able to, to be able to prove if that device gets lost or stolen we have to be able to prove it's encrypted mm-hmm. and passcode protected in order to get our get out of jail free card right yeah. otherwise it's a reportable incident yeah if we can prove that we do a risk assessment and it goes away um so that's what we're using for that we can now enforce it at the gateway yeah. and it's and instead of forcing to have to manually install this on these doctors who don't want you to install anything on their system anyway let alone control their device oh my god now we can just say, hey, we're not going to manage your device. We're not going to force stuff on you. All it is is we're going to check it at the gateway, and if you don't meet these minimum standards, you don't get in yep. until you do. Much, much nicer. So we've done that. That was a big rollout we did. Uh, the next biggest thing that has come up now was not in my repertoire three years ago, Yeah. right? But obviously now ransomware, right? Especially mm. for healthcare. Yeah. So next generation endpoint protection. Yeah. Um, really a, a huge fan of that. Uh, I'm not as much a fan as some of the AI solutions as I am the old uh, kind of combination, you know, standby. So we the, the tool we're using is does a combination of whitelisting yeah. with one part of the product, um, a very robust whitelisting that makes it easy to manage, right? It's always been the problem with whitelisting is it's a pain to manage. Well, this makes the management of it very easy. It makes it very quick to respond to user requests. Yeah. And then we've also then paired that with both an incident response agent that goes on there and now a a newer next generation inspection part, Hmm. right, that can kind of intercept some of those 
uh, PowerShell exploits and and out of memory. I think that's the new right. thing yeah. is it's not just file based attacks. Right. Fileless attacks. Fileless attacks and non malware yeah. attacks. So yeah. yeah, that those are the two biggest ones. Yeah. I think bang for the buck. And then my third one would be right email filtering. Sure. We block. I guess I can say that we we blocked it. The last quarter, I just ran the stats for my quarterly report. Two hundred eighty thousand hmm. malware and ransomware, mostly ransomware. Yeah. And attacks from our email gateway. Right. We have a nice you know uh, web inspection sandbox mm-hmm. and and tool that goes out there. I'm trying not to name any no. brand names. I, I get it. Yeah. I, I like it. You've I can if job. you want, but I'm trying not so to. Right? No, it's up to you. you yeah, can yeah. Say it if you want to. You can so we're, we're real happy with that. Um, and, and it, like I said, 280,000 yeah. that it, it successfully blocked and dropped. And yeah. that's just incredible. Typically, this quarter actually went up. We've, we've seen in the past year, we usually average about 220,000 a quarter. Yeah. And this last quarter, it went up. I think that some people are correlating it to some of the Bitcoin value increases, right? Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, so that, that's great. You've had, you've had a lot of good stuff you've done over the last few years. I, I hear those three things, and I think you've hit on... At least two of the three things I would say, I, I think multi-factor, number one, absolutely, totally agree with you. Endpoint, you got to protect the heck out of it. Um, you know, kind of the, the web security is the, the, the last aspect for me and how do we protect our resources and it depends on what you've got. Uh, I guess I'd now ask you looking forward, you know, your 2018 plans, uh, what, are the, what are those big initiatives that you still want to get through? What, what, are you, what are you focused on? Well, and, and just on, right, I mean, that's not all we've done. I want to be oh, clear. There's, People there's think we have gas, right? Lots course, more with IDS and I mean, all that kind of stuff. Sure. But um, our biggest challenge and our biggest project right now is identity and access management, right? You know, I, I, I hope I'm not stealing this quote from one of the, the vendors, but identity is the new access perimeter. It's not just a firewall anymore, yeah. right? That access is all over the cloud. It's all over the place. Yeah. So that's what we have to start managing better. Is is that identity and there's? It, it's possible that multiple IAM vendors say that, but only <laughs> only one IAM vendor has an employee on this podcast. So I can tell you, Ping Identity says identity is the new perimeter. Yeah. Really? Well, there's yeah. another one that <clears throat> says something very similar. Yeah. Well, they, they might have taken that from us. <laughs> <laughs> they may have. Uh, so yeah. So your focus on just kind of getting federation and and, uh, and and better control of, of everything that way is that, is that the focus or what do you think federation um, and engaging single sign-on and yeah. ideally you know pointing it back yeah. um, where it can come back to our authentication sources either via ADFS or SAML or whatever it is and where we can then also enforce the multi-factor authentication on yeah. it so yep absolutely it's a great it's a great model it simplifies your attack surface makes it so you can protect it you know really well in one place and get access to everything right it's yeah great, it's a well and again it also serves you an audit yeah right because sure. that's one of the biggest gaps i see in audit right is is accounts that have been yeah. left hanging on on many systems that may not they may not tie into active directly active directory directly right, right? they may have to to have some other management yeah. of them and, and it's those those one-offs of management where that tend to catch people yeah so any other uh i am's a great focus any other focuses you want to chat about for this next year ish no we we recently um did a big uptick in our vendor management mm-hmm. and third-party mm-hmm. vendor things so Due that's diligence. that's an uptick yeah um to do that we went from a you know manual excel based questionnaire kind of process to more of an automated uh tool that gives us good background and then we go so that has really helped streamline the process very cool and improve it um well I- those are our big initiatives. Yeah, I mean, well, we're we're, we're in a pretty good place, but yeah. So so kind of changing topics on you. I think we we know that 
healthcare has unique challenges. You, know, you mentioned ransomware. Everyone gets ransomware, but it's very visibly hit healthcare in the last few years. Uh, and then there's other stuff that you guys get. You know, you get systems that are need to be connected in order for you to perform, you know, health procedures that maybe you're running on Windows 98 or, you know, and, and somehow they're connected to the internet. I'd, I'd love to hear if you have stories about uh, these things and how do you start to deal with those kind of strange requirements that you guys get? <laughs> well, two things on there, I guess. Um, two things that I see big on the horizon. So one, obviously, biomedical equipment, yeah, is a challenge. I don't think it's any secret that there's a lot of... Um, opportunities there for improvement yeah. from a lot of those biomedical vendors right a new what's one a just, biomedical vendor what's that mean a biomedical device so and, and that's the terminology we use that's typically the the equipment that they use on you when you go to the hospital okay right the infusion pumps the x-ray machines mm -hmm. the mri machines um the, the right heart the the pacemakers that go sure. in your body so most people are familiar right with the infusion pump vulnerabilities that have been publicized the Heart pacemaker vulnerabilities were publicized last year. Yeah. Uh, now I just heard this week, right? There's been a whole new focus on some of the imaging systems. So there was an article that came out today about how they, they can actually go into some of these MRI and CT scanners and actually bump up the radiation levels hmm. that are going on there, which could be incredibly damaging, yes. right? Super to your risky, body, right? Yeah. 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 Super damaging to your body. Yeah. Um, the other area I see is stories of stuff, right? Uh, DOS attacks, denial of service attacks yeah. that are going out there. You know, great story. How easy it is. I think, right, we, we, we see this whole push for the cloud. And I'm not against the cloud, right? I worked at Savas. We were a cloud provider. Right. Cloud can be very effective if it's done right and secured properly. However, internet-based things are typically always subject to... DOS and DDoS attacks. Yeah. The DDoS attacks, really, they're not being any prevention for those, really, right? All you can do is react and mitigate and help reduce some of that. But there's no way I know of to actually truly prevent a DDoS attack. It depends on what the attack is, right? If, yeah. if you get a network, you know, a volumetric attack, maybe you can use a service, an Akamai or a Cloudflare type of a service, yeah. Prolexic, to, to defend it. Uh, you start to get to application-specific attacks, something in a, you know in, within 443, and it's... It's incredibly difficult. Yeah, and it's still a reactive thing. And, and again, some you can prevent with tools and things. It's usually reactive, and you, there's still some impact. Others are, are still almost impossible mm. to defend against. Some of the bandwidth consumption yeah. attacks, right? Mm. How do you defend that? Well, there are some cool routing tools. I won't go into those vendors that can do what we used to use as an ISP, yeah. but not really there at the, the end user or biz, typical right. business level. Uh, but th that gets so prevalent of how easy it is. A great story I had from back when I was at Savas. We actually got lucky. I mean, most times you can't even trace these. We got lucky and we traced one back. This ended up being a 14-year-old, right, who got angry at his psychic reader. He oh. had a psychic reader that was like his girlfriend. Well, that's funny. And she finally cut him off when his parents' credit card ran out. And he got angry, and he's going to show her, and he launched a, a denial of service attack yeah. against the, the psychic company, right? Well, little did he know that it actually, this was back, oh, I was trying to think of who the company was. This was back in like the, the late um, 90s, and, and it brought down half of the, the east and, and central coast, <laughs> right? You have the east coast and half the central stuff. Yeah. I mean, as a Savas, as a, as a big tier, tier three provider, right? It brought half, literally more than half of our connectivity down, our backbone down, yeah. right? As well as all, all of the others. And we were able to, to backtrace it and backtrace it. And it finally went back 
to this poor guy, was out of the country, was down in South America, but the, we got a hold of the FBI. They actually went back and found this guy, and he was right, of course, just a kid doing it from a a, <laughs> a, a connection in his mom's basement, oh. right? Wow. But that that shows you how damaging that is. Yeah. And it was just a, an unusual, uh, um, not quite like the ping of death, but it was a very similar UDP type it's attack that was an ampl- amplified, right? It was an amplified attack that he did it and brought in all these other amplified and it just right. dosed the whole thing out. Yeah. But it was kind of a cool one that we actually, one of the few cases, right? We were actually able to trace him down yeah. and find him and track him. Um, That's great. So, you know, looking at the, I, that's a different t- topic. Talk to me over the last, you know, six years, or if you want to go back to previous job, you have any stories of um, projects you've gone through that you're, you're really proud of, or, you know, also maybe a project that you that didn't go well that you learned from and maybe some listeners can learn from as well. Projects that went well. Well, I was really proud of our multi-factor authentication yeah, rollout. Yeah. That went well. We actually just how, completed an epic make, failover. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about the the MFA. How how did you make? Why did it go well? What did you do that? You know, not every project goes well. This one did. So why? What, well, what, when we rolled it out, uh, we initially brought it in and we did a pilot. And one of the benefits of the tool we used is that allowed us to roll it out. On a, a gradually, hmm. so we could roll it out like on a volunteer basis, where once we signed people up, it would force them to use the two-factor, but other people would still be allowed in without it. Sure. So we were able to kind of roll that out gradually, pretty quickly, then to a large number of users, and then within, I would say, a month, from the time we got the initial pilot completed to yeah. then deciding to roll it out there. But within a month, we'd rolled it out to thirty thousand users. Yeah. And how do your doctors um, like it? Uh, the doctors like it better than some of the other methods they've had. <laughs> I, I know generally doctors are the tough part, right? Yeah, it, it's still an extra click for them, right? So they, yeah. they don't like that extra click. But uh, one of the benefits, right, is the caching, right? We're able, we actually let them cache it, you know, for 30 days like they yeah. do at Google. Um, you know, so, yeah, that, that's, that's, that helped out tremendously, yeah. right, getting that sell in where it's not every single day, every single time, mm-hmm. 100 clicks a day, right? How many doctors do you guys have? Uh, we have, uh, I want to say, I think we have about 4,000 unemployed physicians. Okay. Um, right? That is, that's a whole other challenge, right? Because they're not employees. You can't yeah. enforce everything on them. Yeah. But they're, they're contracted. And, and I don't want to say somewhere around maybe um, 6,000 employed. So call it 10,000 doctors. That, yeah. Is it, do you, is it like you have 10,000 bosses? Is that, is that what that's like? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. A little bit sometimes. Yes, sometimes it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's, that's the. Uh, that's what I hear about working with doctors. Um, so what's the? What about anything you've learned from? And, and on that note, that we've had yeah. some of them that are are really that love to see us securing things and yeah. making and protecting that information. We we also have a few that are vehemently opposed. Right. right? So, anything you've, you any projects you've gone through that didn't go well that you you're willing to share with us? Of course not. <laughs> everything's everything's going well. Right. You know, we actually had our um, we had and I again I won't name vendor names, but we had an identity and access management uh, program and project that did not go well, mm. and we actually documented it, kicked the vendor out. Mm. Uh, we spent six months with them, and yeah. basically they couldn't didn't complete any of the deliverables that were supposed to get done in that time frame, and. We asked them to leave. Luckily, we had really good documentation, nice. and we did not pay them for that engagement. Yeah, 
um, and went with a different vendor and are very happy with the second one we chose. But mm-hmm. it's a, a prime example, right? We tried to bow to some of the wishes of management and the first time around we picked the cheaper vendor. Sure. Right? Oh, go with the cheaper. Save money, save money. And we went with the cheaper one and we wasted six months of our time, almost eight months of our time, and then had all this legal hassle afterwards and got zero value out mm-hmm. of it, right? That's a pretty big cost to the business. Actually ended up being more cost than what it would have been to go with the good vendor to begin with. Right. So so looking at the... Um, we're you know, running, running a little bit short on time here. I'll ask you a couple questions about the community and, and folks who are looking to get into the community. We have quite a few folks who listen who are who are just getting out of programs now, looking to maybe get their first full-time job in security. Do you have any guidance for them about what skills they should be working on and, and how they want to go into those interviews? I, I'm a big believer on when I bring somebody new in, right? I, I want somebody that's enthusiastic, that right is into it, yeah. um, that has some tactical ability. Right? There's lots of things people can do to learn at home, to, to come in and offer me something to do. Right, You can get Snort and learn IDS at home for mm-hmm. free. You can right learn firewalls for free. You can get Snort down, or I mean Splunk downloaded for free and learn yeah. logging and, and reporting and dashboarding. I want, when I go to hire somebody, I, do, I don't just want a degree. Right, That's great background and good theory, but I want people that can actually do something for me on the job. So, right, go get some of that hands-on experience and bring it in. Other things, training, right, hands-on tactical training. SANS, to me, SANS is, is hands down, right, some of the best training out there. I, I love their programs. You, They're now, expensive, though. How do you though. afford the, all my these SANS God. trains? Oh, my God. Well, this was back in the day when I took them all, right? They were they were not even $2,000 back then. Okay. I think when I was buying them, they were like... It, I think it's like six or $7,000 yeah. for a week-long training now. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the last one I looked at for one of my staff was like $6,000. Yeah, it's a, if you yeah. work at Ping, don't, let's not talk about SANS. Yeah. Let's talk <laughs> but, about something else. But they are so... It, it is such good product, right? Especially some of those early basics, right? They're GSEC and some of the early ones. And then some of the specialty programs, they've got one of the best, you know, um, incident response forensics programs out there, right? You know, the, and I'll, I'll plug the instructor, Rob Lee, you know, ex-FBI guy. He is just unbelievable mm-hmm. to me, probably the, one of the, the leading experts in the, in that field. Yeah. And it was just incredible, you know, learning under him. But there's other good stuff out there too, right? Yeah. Many other there's other good, you know, forensic data providers and gatherers out there, and they provide training that's also good. Yeah, um, that's just my favorite. Okay. Um. Uh. But so you know, get some other get some training, right? Don't yeah. and don't have to. You, you mentioned the cost; it doesn't always have to be expensive. Get some doggone books and learn something yourself. Right. Right. Uh, you know, when I was gr- growing up in in this environment and stuff, right? I had 15 computers in my basement. Right, I ran a small ISP out of my basement, running ten web servers, five FTP servers, three or four different email servers. You know, that's how you gain experience. Uh, if you're just breaking into the business, is start doing it. Yeah. Uh, so flipping around a little bit, you know, I think that's great advice for new folks. What about for people who are currently, you know, CISOs, other people who do your job? What do you think we're doing wrong? What What's the one thing you see consistently? Yeah, we, we gotta get better at this. <laughs> I think we all need to gang up and go into senior leadership and get us reporting to the CEO. Why is that? Uh, I think that there's often resistance and conflict of interest there, Mm. right, between the CIO in many companies that I see, or depending on who else they work for, right, sometimes they're reporting under legal or under privacy group or wherever. But security is at the point now where it it needs to be reporting to the CEO and, and not 
be threatened by those other groups mm. or be held back, right? It needs to be at that, to have that equal say at the table. Yeah. And not just be able to be overshadowed because of cost or because of, they oh that's going to delay our rollout. Yeah. Right. It was one of the things right when when the the big uh, Obamacare stuff rolled out, right? They're pushing 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 and they rolled out garbage that the security people told them not to. Right. And, and I see that same thing yeah. happening in in company after company, and it's going to continue happening until we are not put into those people and we can actually be at that level. And hopefully, right, that the security people don't don't take their job as being the the trying to be politically correct the the security super strict people <laughs> um you know our job is to empower the business is to I- embrace that and provide them ways to do things not to sit there and say no right this thing is say yes but yeah yes you can do that but you need to do this and sure. this and this to keep it secure yeah and we need to be at a level where we can do that to to continue enabling the business. Otherwise, we're going to keep running into those blocks. Yeah. Uh, we roll something out. Oh, my God, we got to pull it back because it was hacked. We rolled something out. Oh, my God, here's the, all the, the public branding damage that was done because it got hacked. Yeah. You know, people, if once they start getting hacked like that and taken advantage of, they, they stop trusting. And, and we've got to rebuild and regain that trust. And the only way to do it is to let the people that have that education and training have that equal say at the mm. table. Fair enough. Um, any any anything else? Anything else you'd like to share with the audience out here? Those who are listening. Do we get everything? Stay secure. Stay secure. Uh, and I, I think everyone out there wants to know uh, what what have you analyzed me? What have you de- what have you determined over the last <laughs> forty five minutes? What I've determined so far, Rob, yeah. is that you you have a very inquisitive mind, a very driving personality. Yeah. However, there's these two flaws. Okay, I'm, I'm listening. I can't discuss them. Oh, all right. Well, <laughs> well, I guess maybe after I pay the after I pay the bill, that's when I get to know the flaws. I get it. All right. Well, Chris, thanks so much for your time. Uh, hopefully, we'll catch up with you soon and, and hear how things are changing, and we'll we'll, we'll keep talking in the future. Thanks, Rob. All I right. enjoyed it. Have, Have a good, good one. Time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at Colorado-Security.com where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.